Do you guys like that video? It reminds you of some of our lives here. Maybe some of us were taking notes, like, that's a great idea. I want to pause it right there at that moment so I can do what they're doing. That's how I felt when I saw it. My name is Chris Boyer. My wife and I, we lead the student ministry here, specifically the college students. And we've been Christians for about 14 years. We have a family of five, so we have three children. Two of them are girls that are twins, and we have a son that's just one year old. So I'm very grateful to be here and talk to you about something so relevant and so helpful to my life today that it's just ironic that I'm even speaking to you about it. In fact, some of you are probably far better experts at this than I am. But before I get there, I want to tell you a little bit about my family life growing up. And my mom and dad, they were pretty, they, they were the polar opposites. And that's usually kind of the way polar opposites work. They, they attract, right? And uh, my mom, she had the authority in the household as far as keeping things in order, okay? So she governed the kingdom of our household spaces, Okay, and so that meant that the living room with the white carpet, mom had order over that. She had just the jurisdiction there. She would be like, the stuff that's in here is not used daily. It's used occasionally. And this is not an area where we come in and out and put our stuff in there daily in the living room. Anybody have a living room like that, like white carpet type thing in the living room? Okay, well, that was the area that was perfect for my surfboards. Okay, my surfboards went perfect there because I would go in there and I like to keep my stuff clean. You know, my surfboards are all clean. I leave the beach and keep it clean. But that was a great place because it's in the shade. Okay, no one goes in there. Okay, so it's like you just set your boards on the ground. Eventually it became a surfing staging area. So it's like surfboards, backpack, towel, wetsuit, hanging over the, the railing. And you know, of course that didn't fly with my mom. She would always constantly be getting me to move it into the garage, she would take my boards and set them outside in the sun on the side yard. And I'd be like, mom, that ruins them. You know what I mean? And I'd be like all upset, but she was just trying to get them, keep it clean, keep it in order. She liked the space open and free and clean. Okay, so everything had its place. Everything was in there for a reason to decorate or whatnot. But you know, it was like, there's these spaces open and some, some of you in here today are minimalists, you're neat freaks, and you just love open spaces. Open spaces, you think there's like a spirituality, a godliness when you have open space and freedom, okay? Now, on the other hand, my mom's jurisdiction, her authority ended at the doorway to the garage, okay? The door to the garage was like, that was like the realm that she was not allowed to go, okay? She, she was just literally not allowed in there type of thing, okay? So my dad had jurisdiction over that, and needless to say, we never parked a car in the garage growing up, okay? That was like a dream if we were able to park a car in there because there was so much stuff and so much clutter. There was boxes and boxes. My dad would love buying the bins, you know, the bins, the plastic ones, the snap lids and stuff like that. He would just love getting bins and getting more stuff. And he was an engineer and he was, I guess he was kind of creative, but he loved being a pack rat. He loved just getting and acquiring things and keeping them. And they could be like outside yard lights that you ran over with the truck. And then he still wants to keep them. And so he puts them in a bin and they're rained on and dirty. And you're like, dude, throw those away. So I would be trying to help my dad organize. And so annually or semi-annually, I would go and clean out my dad's garage. And I would like make it all clean. I would make a workspace. I would clean off all the workspaces so you have tables to work on. I would put all things in order. Like, you know, paint goes in this area and, and tools go here and these kind of tools go there. And my dad would come out there and be like, I'm going to go look in the garbage. And he would like go, go start searching through the garbage to find out what, what I threw away. So, I mean, there was times where I literally like rented dumpsters and my dad was dumpster diving in the dumpster in front of my house trying to get all, he's like, Chris, this is good stuff. 
You know what I mean? Why are you throwing this away? So my, my mom and dad were totally polar opposites. And it's kind of funny because some of us here are pack rats. Some of us live with pack rats. And so I'm a little afraid to ask you here because I've kind of given the negative skew on it, like of what the pack rat looks like. And some of, some of us in here are. And in fact, like once you get kids, even if you're a minimalist, you know your standards lower. Right? Once you have kids, it's like you try to stay clean, but in reality, you're like, you can't keep it clean with three kids. You know, I have three kids, and so I try to keep it clean. I'm somewhere a mix in between the two of being, you know, I'm, I'm a mixed bag. Because when I sit down to work, while I was working on this lesson, I kept cleaning my desk. I kept getting my desk clean. And I remember when I was in, in elementary school, I would have to clean my room, not by order, but I would just want to clean things before I sat down. And I thought it was me just putting things off, but I think that I like things in order. But with three kids, things start to look more like this, okay? <laughs> this is what closet spaces start to look like, okay? And uh, may, this is actually not my closet. My wife wouldn't let me take a picture of our closet. I wanted to take a picture and put our closet. She said, no, you can't do that. You know, I'm like, why not? I'm like, I'm using someone else's closet. So um, this, is, this is the way some of our closets get, where it's just stuff gets on top of stuff, gets on top of stuff. And then you have that box that's there that you're hanging on to. And, and uh, you know, you got empty hangers and you got shirts that are sort of halfway hung on the hanger, you know, and everything you just fit in there as much as you can. You didn't get rid of anything. And some of us love that experience. Some of us love the experience of working in a messy environment. Okay, like if you went in my dad's office, there was a little, little trail that you could walk into his office and his desk was covered with stuff and he had boxes everywhere and he loved that. It was called the cave, okay, or the hole. When he went in the hole, there was no getting out of the hole. Okay, and there was nothing any of us can do to help organize the hole because we don't know what it is. It's all of his work stuff. So we didn't know what to do. So, I mean, some of us are artists. We love working in a messy environment. We could have a messy apron, all of our tools scattered around. Okay, and just so you guys know, when my dad comes over to my house now, I've, I have a strategy and a theory, and maybe this will help some of you who live with people like that, is you got to give them a space that they can mess up. Okay, so I give my dad the upper bunk of my child's bed. I said, Dad, you can unpack your bag and just spread it out all over this thing. You know what I mean? And so if I don't do that, it ends up being the kitchen table. And so it, it's kind of funny when we talk about that, like when people live their lives like that. And this is really not a seminar about how to organize your closet or the fact that your back seat and your car needs to be clean. Okay, this is not a seminar about that. This is not a class about that because it's kind of funny when we talk about it, but it's not okay if you live your life and your finances like this. If your finances look like this, that's not okay. If you're just living month to month and waiting for that next paycheck to come in, and if there's a financial bump, it's gonna cause a major problem because there's no margin for error. Everything that you can fit into your finances has been fit in. It's not okay. If your schedule looks like this, where you're running to things late and you're, showing, you're not showing up on time and you have back-to-back things where you're driving 80 miles an hour, you're watching the hand of the clock as you're getting later and later and later, and you're being stressed out all the time because the way you manage your schedule looks like this. That's not okay. When our relationships start to suffer and we start to burn out because that is the way we're trying to manage our relationships, that's not okay. Like I said, it's funny when we talk about it, and it's okay if you like to work in a messy environment. Some of us are amazingly clean. I would say one of the best examples of that in this room is Kevin and Diane Mead, okay? Their, their garage, he has the man garage. It's so beautiful. It's so in order. Some of us in here are obsessive, compulsive, clean. Some of us are messy, but 
The problem is it's not funny when we see marriages crash and burn because their finances, because their schedule, because their relationships look like that. And so we, we can't just become people who are carting our children around and, and running around just, just overly packed with everything that we're trying to fit in. Instead, we want to have a closet that looks like this. That's a closet right there. In fact, look, he's got a computer there. He's got his phone. You know, he's got some motorcycle riding stuff over here. You know, like for me, I would have like, you know, maybe like some surfboards or something, like something in there. You know, maybe a recliner in the other corner, a coffee maker, a refrigerator. You know, that would be some great stuff to have in your closet where you could just go and be comfortable. And then a screen, obviously, so you can watch something while you're in there, while you're doing things. You know, we... Us men, like, would love to have this space, to have this closet. I mean, of course, not all of our closets are going to look that way, but it's so much better when we have room to breathe, when we have space to create and space to move around. Life is better when we have breathing room. Now, I have to tell you guys, this is my planner right here. Discipline leads to progress, okay? On the other side, I have control your morning, and I, like, plan all this stuff in and it's all like, you know, just packed. And, you know, when you look at it, it just looks, when I show people my calendar, they're like, that's kind of crazy. I don't know how to decipher that. I don't know how to read what you're showing me right now because I run my life hard. I run in fifth gear. And what I'm learning from what we're seeing here is not, I am definitely not the expert at this. Many of you are probably better than I am at this. But what I'm learning is life is better with breathing room. And breathing room can be defined as the space between our current pace and our limits. Okay, so life is better with breathing room. It's better when we're able to arrive to places early. When you show up at a place and you're 15 minutes early, it's so much better. It's so much better. But what I tend to want to do, what I gravitate towards, is I want to show up right on time. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get there like one minute early. One minute early, I want to push it right to the limit. And I want to run, uh, the pace that I want to run, I want to take it to the limit. I want to take it as close to the limit as possible. But it's better to arrive early. It's great when we get to eat dinner together, when we have breathing room, when we could sit down as a family and eat dinner and enjoy each other's company and not feel like we need to stand up and leave as soon as we get finished chewing. That doesn't, that doesn't help my relationships. Relationships cannot be based on productivity and efficiency. It doesn't work. When we sit down, I need to enjoy the presence of my family and be present. At the month end, when we're watching dollars drain out of our account at, towards the end of the month, and we're just hoping, and we just hope that not one more dollar falls out of that account because we know that the next dollar that falls out, we might bounce a check, and we're living in constant stress. And even when we get the opportunity to go enjoy things, we don't enjoy them when we're running life and our pace is to the limit. We're, we're not enjoying the things we even enjoy to do when we're running our lives that way without breathing room. And being present to be able to pray. Life is better with breathing room because we could spend time praying without feeling like we need to be some other place. And for those of us who are Christians in the room here today, I know that we like to have time with God in the morning. Sometimes because of our pace of life, we end up staying up too late one night, not getting up early enough the next day. Or if we did get up early enough, we feel like we need to start running off to do all the things we need to accomplish that day. And our time spent trying, attempting to pray to God, our mind is someplace else. We're praying and we have a notepad next to us to write down everything 
or we bust out our phone in the middle of our prayer to write down some important thing or important reminder. We end up just not being able to be present. And our focus here at the Lighthouse Church of Christ in 2013 is be present. That's our title for 2013, be present. And when, when you don't have breathing room, it's very difficult to be present. You know, I just got back from El Salvador. I went on vacation. I took some breathing room and I went on vacation. Okay, so it's summertime. I figure a lot of you are in vacation mode or you're getting ready to go on vacation. You've been on vacation. Aren't vacations awesome? Oh, you guys probably haven't had one this summer. Okay, well, vacations are awesome, you guys. I love vacation. I was like, dude, I came back so refreshed, so encouraged, so refreshed with a brand new perspective. But while I was there, I was reminded as I drove along in the hot El Salvadorian temperature, the climate, it's humid, it's hot. But everywhere around one o'clock, there's people sleeping on the side of the road, on top of piles of sand, on, on the back of a cement truck. They're sleeping because they have something called a siesta. They just spend time just relaxing. They, they, every day, no matter if you're a CEO of a bank, okay, or you are a cement worker, everybody takes siestas. They love siestas. And that's such a great thing that I was not trained to do growing up. That was not part of, of my like, upbringing is doing that. But not only that, even when I'm on vacation, I like to run so hard in my life that I, I have an agenda while I'm on vacation, okay? I have an agenda, like, in the morning, I'm like, okay, look, I have seven mornings here. While I'm here, I have seven opportunities to get waves, okay? And those seven opportunities, when they're gone, they're gone. Every morning that I miss is a morning lost, okay? I'm like, it's a big deal, okay? It's emotional. It's a big need I have. I mean, I, I spent time here getting here. I spent money getting here, and I want to go do that. And it became, like, literally, even on my vacation, an area of contention, an area of where when I basically went surfing, I run my limits hard. So guess what? I drive fast to go to the beach, okay? And once I get to the beach, I go out and I surf and I'm having a good time. And then guess what I do? I don't leave when I'm supposed to leave. I push my limits hard and then I end up driving fast, coming back where I'm going. I get lost on the way back, okay? And it's like, you know, it just, it's a spiraling thing downhill. It's not good. I get back, guess what? Everyone's upset. My wife's vomiting with fear that I might be shot or in a hole somewhere, okay? Because I have no cell phone, and I'm out in the middle of El Salvador driving around by myself, okay? And, and so I come back, and my relationships are strained because of the way I run my life and I push my limits. I end up coming back two hours late because I don't want to miss out. I fear missing out. I fear missing the opportunity. And so I come back from that. We had, I had a great time, and I took some mornings off from surfing after that. Um, they all wanted me to go surfing the next day, but then I took the next two mornings off because um, it just felt better. It, it, was a, it was a breath of fresh air, and I had some great time with God and great time with my relationships. And when I came back from El Salvador, I went riding with, I'm training for an Ironman. Any, any triathletes here, cyclists? Any cyclists in the room? Okay, we got one. All right, me and you. We stay together. Okay, so... Um, I came back and I spent some time with one of my friends who has an incredible amount of knowledge because I'm a very entry-level athlete in that area. And this, these people that I go hang out with, they're like world-renowned athletes. They're like, they, they do something called, this lady, she does something called ultras, okay? Ultras are three Ironman back-to-back in three days, okay? So in other words, like you do the, the equivalent distance of three Ironman and you have to finish it within 72 hours or something like that. And so she has in her house, like you go in there and she has like this trophy wall. 
you know, and she's on the fronts of magazines. And, and the husband, he's like this high-level cyclist. And they're really intense. So I spent time with them this last week trying to, you know, improve my cycling and, and to train a little bit. And one of the things is I went out with her, and she said to me right away, she was like, you don't need to impress anyone here. She's like, slow down. Slow down. You're going too hard. Why are you trying to go so hard? And I'm like, I don't know, because I have a short amount of time to work out, and I want to make it effective. And she's like, listen, here's what I want you to do. Leave some in the tank. Leave some in the tank. This comes from an ultra-endurance athlete. Leave some in the tank. Don't come out here and try to, try to get out the gates and go super hard, but you need to slow your cadence down. You need to stop mashing the gears. You need to just go at a, at a cadence that's healthy, that you're going to have some left in the tank for when you get off this bike and you go run. So that was something really like eye-opening to me because I was raised as a sprinter. Here's what sprinters do. Sprinters, put it in fifth gear, go as hard as you can, as long as you can. So when you get to practice, what you want to do is you want to get into fifth gear as quick as possible. And as soon as you get in fifth gear, stay in fifth gear as long as you can until you run out of gas. And so it's opposite mentality from an endurance athlete. So my, the way I was raised is I was raised as a sprinter. And my mentality towards my scheduling, towards my finances, towards the way I lead my life, I put it in fifth gear and my cadence is really high. I want to go high cadence. That's the kind of person I am. So again, I'm telling you that the things that I desire most end up being unenjoyable when I'm redlining it. When I'm going hard, when I don't leave breathing room, what ends up happening is the things that I enjoy most become unenjoyable. And the things that I want most in my relationships are not happening. The things that I think are going to bring me happiness when I have this progress, when I have this prosperity, when I move to the next level in my sport, in my work, when I buy this one thing, we think those things are going to bring us happiness. But it, end, it ends up pushing us hard when we're redlining. So what happens is stress levels go up. When we don't leave breathing room, stress levels go up. We stress out everyone around us with our finances, with our schedule. We stress out people around us. The next thing that happens is focus narrows. Our focus begins to narrow on that one thing. You go to bed at night, you can't stop thinking about your finances. You, you try to move on throughout your day, but you blew it earlier in the day and you had a, you, your, your scheduling was so poor, you missed a meeting and you felt like the day was ruined because you showed up late and you can't stop thinking about it. You can't get off of that. So your, narr your focus narrows on that one thing. And I think a great example of that is, is that happens in sports a lot. So I would like to relate it to sports and it, for you athletes who are out there, for those of you who are not athletes, um, I, whenever I speak, I always end up bringing it back to athletic references. And when we are playing a game, when the stress level goes up, when there's no space, what happens is the person with the ball begins to get tunnel vision and they can't see the opportunities that exist in front of them. When you don't have breathing room in your life, you literally miss opportunities to do great things. You miss opportunities God is trying to work in your life and opportunities for building relationships. And relationships suffer. The result is relationships suffer when we do not leave a margin, when we do not leave breathing room. And you, some of you in here are very high-capacity individuals. You're a higher-capacity individual than I am. But whether you are a higher-capacity individual than I am or not, we all have limits. You have your limits. I have my limits. And when we run our lives without breathing room and we run them redlining right to the edge of where our capacity lies and we like living our lives in the red, when we like living our lives that way, 
it ends up driving relationships away. Our relationships suffer. So we all have limits, but the thing that drives that is fear. Fear is the thing that ends up making us want to do all that. Now, we may have excuses and we think, well, it's because of my industry. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because, and we want to put excuses. I've, I'm wired that way. I'm an individual who is wired to run hard. That's the way I roll. But you know what? The thing that drives us is fear because we have fear of missing out. Just like when I was in El Salvador, and I said, I only have seven mornings here. I have seven opportunities to go get waves. And if I don't, then I'm going to miss out. I'm fearing missing out on something. When my kids, when I try to put them to sleep at night, okay, they don't, they're afraid they're going to miss out on the relationships, on the, on the time that we have together. Everyone's hanging out. They're having so much fun, okay? Sometimes we're, we're planning more than fits in our schedule because we're afraid we're going to miss out on something. And we start saying yes to too many things in our lives because we're afraid we're going to miss something. Or we have fear of falling behind as a parent. I have fear that my kids are not going to get the best education. I have fear that my kids are not going to get into college or get a good job. They're not going to be in the right network of people. We have fears. And so we place our kids in too many sports, in two, three different sports, while they're going to school. And we start redlining our children's lives. We have fear of falling behind. So we end up picking up another job. Or the, the number of units that we take. We take too many units in school or we're trying to get through um, a, a certain like credential program or we're getting through an achievement scholastically and we're doing it because we're afraid of falling behind. We're afraid of falling behind everyone else out there. Or we're afraid of not mattering. We fear not mattering. I know that we work, my wife and I, we work for the church we work for good reason. Like we have, we have this great idea in mind that we want to make a difference. Our faith has driven us to make a difference. And you know what? One of the things that we said a while back here that we stole from Apple in one of our lessons was they wanted to make a dent in the universe. They wanted to make a difference in the universe. And that's, that's a good thing that we want to make a difference. But when we fear not mattering and it drives us, our fear of not mattering much has a potential to draw us away from what matters most. So our fear, our fears drive us. Our fears of falling behind, our fears of not mattering much, it has this potential to draw us away from the things that matter most, and that's our relationships. Our relationships with people that we have. And the thing that we think is going to bring happiness actually doesn't. So it's amazing, it's amazing because God has an amazing answer to this problem. To this problem that in your attempt to find happiness, that you've forgotten about the things that matter most, that God has an answer to this problem, and it's not, it's not new. It's not new. It, it goes way, way back to when Moses was in the desert, and they had just left slavery. They were in slavery. They were defined by slavery laws, and at that time, they were, they were being run around, and they, they, they knew how to act when they were under slavery because it was really clear. It was given to them on how they, how they would function, what their identity was, in Egypt, but when they left there and they were with Moses in the desert, God tried to redefine them. And it's amazing as we open the pages of the Bible, we see this fear versus faith. We see how fear is in exact opposite, it's in contrast to faith in God. And the answer to this problem has been there since the Ten Commandments. And it's not something, these Ten Commandments, these top ten things that God says, I want you to do these things. This is not something God wants from you. 
but something that God wants for you. And the first one was the Sabbath. One of these Ten Commandments was the Sabbath. Now, this is something that me as a Christian, I know what that is, but I really do not follow it well. I'd actually, I would, I would go so far as to say, I kind of disregard that. I, I don't hold this. I don't value this. This is not something that I practice in my Christianity. And you know what? God instituted this for a reason. Okay? God, God did not say, hey, I want you to sacrifice. I want to see if you could do this. You know what? In this time, in this place, these people are in an agrarian culture. They don't have refrigerators. They can't go to the store the next day and just buy some more food. They're working hard. If they stop working, that means they don't eat. If they stop working, they're losing productivity. There's efficiency that's not happening. They're being inefficient when, if they were to not work. And so I can really relate to the fact that at that time, hearing this would have been so hard to hear. Okay, God was like, if, for those of you who are not familiar with what this is, on Friday night, I want you to stop working. And whatever's not done is not done. That's fine. You can pick it up again on Sunday morning. So from Friday night to Sunday morning, there is no work that is to be done. And I know for me, as far as productivity is concerned, I would say that's like not a good idea. If I want to be a good steward of what I've been given, if I want to be proficient in what I'm trying to do, I'm going to need to do that. And the next thing that he actually tells them to do, besides taking breathing room in their schedule, is he tells them to take a tithe. And a tithe would be something that they actually take money out of their income and they didn't take it to the bank. It wasn't like they had bank, online banking at that time. But they had an income. And if they got $10, they would set apart a part of that $10, 10 or 20%. And they would take it and put it into a box somewhere or bury it in the ground underneath their house somewhere. They would put it someplace and everybody in the house, God started teaching them, you need to trust me that I'm going to take care of it with your time. Whatever didn't get done, it's going to be fine. Trust me. Trust me with your money. Trust that even though you're not going to live on 100%, you're only going to live on 90% or live on 80%. Trust me, it's going to be taken care of. And the one I'm going to show you right now is the law of gleaning, which I know many of us probably have never considered this or even looked at this, unless you've read the Old Testament and then you've come across it. But we're going to be turning over to Leviticus chapter 19 in verse 9. And here he says to this, this agrarian culture, when you reap... The harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Here he says, hey guys, you have a field. And I'm sure these are not enormous fields. These are not fields that are like, you know, 10 football field size or maybe even a football field. These are tiny fields. And in these little fields, you have one little field. And in your field, he says, I don't want you to take it all the way to the edge of your field. I want you just to go through it, but don't go all the way to the edge. This is not what I would have practiced. This is not what I would have gravitated towards. But God says, don't do that. And not only that, look what he says. Do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. So not only he says, do not go to the edge of your field. If your workers are sloppy and you drop some, or you're not totally efficient in getting all the grapes off the vine, go ahead and just leave those ones. Just go ahead and leave those there. And in my mind, I'm like, no way, dude. I would like have, I would comb it this way, comb it this way, make sure we go back. And then if someone wasn't efficient, I would go back and tell them they weren't being efficient and they would probably get fired. But God says, I am the Lord your God. It's like, what? 
What, God, what do you, yeah, okay, you're God, I get that, but why are you telling me to do this? I do not understand, because he says he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him, that you don't need to take it all the way to the edge. You can leave some on the table. You can leave some fuel in the tank. You can leave it on the table, and God will take care of it. God is saying, trust me, don't take everything to the limit. I want there to be a space. I want there, I want you to create a margin. Create a margin in your schedule. Create a margin in your finances. Create a margin in your relationships. You need to have some breathing room. And he, re, he describes it again in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 19. What he says here is, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Okay, so if you drop something along the way and you're the owner of the field and you see someone dropping something, I think I would likely want to go tell them to pick it up. God says, don't pick it up, just leave it there. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So what he says is, leave it behind. If you dropped it, if there was a mistake, if you left something on the bush, don't take it to the edge of your fields so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the hands of your work. Because I would think if it was about the productivity of my hands, my hands needed to do the best possible job that they can do in order to see the best possible results. That it's about my hands' work. If it's about my hands' work, then you know what? I need to do the best that I possibly can. But you know what I've come to realize in all of this? Is that God is in control and God will bless our work. My wife tries to tell me sometimes, see, see, sometimes I put less effort into things than I normally put this crazy effort and get all obsessive, obsessive compulsive about my effort. And sometimes I put less effort and it, it goes just as well or even better. And she's like, see, it's God trying to tell you that he's the one who's making it happen and it's not your power. It's not my power that's gonna make it happen. God's the one who gave us all of it anyway. And God is capable, if he gave it all to us, of blessing us even more than we can imagine. It's not about our power. So what God said is, so if we don't do all we can do, you're going to multiply the work that we did do. So if we don't do every single little thing, if we're not obsessive compulsive and we're not control freaks and we're not just stressing out and living our lives in the red line, trying to be as productive as possible, if we don't do every single little thing, if we take a day off during the week, it's okay. God is going to take care of it. God is going to multiply the work that we did do. And Jesus in the New Testament addresses this very fear because breathing room, the concept doesn't come up in the Bible. It's not like there's breathing room, but when we see these principles, it points towards the fact that we need space and we need to create a margin. And Matthew shows us how Jesus told us exactly how to address this fear. He says, so do not worry. He says, guys, don't be afraid. I know you have all these fears. I know your fear has been driving you. And if it's not your fear driving you, it's your husband's fear or your boss's fear or your father and mother's fear that's been driving you all this time. He says, do not worry. Do not let that fear drive you. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. The pagans, the pagans who believe in it and they believe in God but they do not trust God. They do not believe in a loving creator that we believe in. We believe in a loving God who wants to meet all of your needs. He says the pagans run after all of these things. 
and your heavenly father knows that you need them. God is a loving God. He knows that you need all of these things and he wants to bless you. But instead of worrying, instead of being all consumed with running after those things, we need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus addresses our fear, the way that we want to run after things, the way that we want to work in the red line. We want to push our limits. We, want to, we don't want to miss out. We want to get the most out of everything. And we see how that can be detrimental in our lives. But what he tells us to do is to seek first his kingdom. I'm going to believe God. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus told us that we, instead of worrying, we need to trust God and seek God. That trust the trust that we need to have over God, that the one day that we take off, that God's still going to do work. If, we don't, if we're not as effective as we can be and we leave edges around the fields, we can trust God in that. We can trust God that he is going to take care of it. Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. That's the problem. Our fear of not mattering much has the potential to draw us away from what matters most. But in contrast to fear, if we could replace it with faith, if we could have faith that God is going to work in the margins, God is going to work in those times where you leave edges, God is going to work when you didn't do everything to the highest possible level that you could have done them. And the consequence for not understanding this is broken down marriages. It's, it's carting your kids around. And, and this has been me a couple times. I'm driving my kids to school and I don't really want to talk. I just want them to sit back there. I want to turn on some music. And I just want to not engage. You sit down at dinner and, and you don't interact with your children that you're with or your wife who you're with. That your relationships begin to suffer. But, but if you or if I were to in 60 years look back and we were to say and give ourselves advice. If you were 60, 60 or 80 years old today and you could look back and give yourself advice. You know what? Don't worry so much about your progress. Don't worry so much about your productivity. Don't worry so much about your prosperity. But instead, trust in God, leave a margin, and create a space. So as I'm talking about this today, I want to ask you, where do you need some breathing room? You know, I'm, I'm seeing college students all the time. I'm engaging with college students. And they're, they're taking two jobs on and trying to get through school. And they don't have time for a Bible study. They don't have time to get together. High school students who are th taking AP courses. They're, going, they're, they're captains of their teams. They're a part of drama. And they're just so full. Maybe they need to cut some time. Maybe you need to cut some time. Maybe you need to practice a Sabbath. Maybe financially today when we started to talk about this in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk more. We have three more weeks of this. We're going to talk about those three areas. We're going to be talking about our schedules, our finances, and our relationships. Where do you need space? I'll tell you right now, for me, what I need to do, I need to practice the Sabbath. I need to trust that God's going to work. Because on my day off, I think I need to be working hard. On my day off, I think I need to be doing more things. I'm trying to fit more things in. So I want to encourage you today. I know I need to take it. I know I am the, the least of all of you to be able to come up here and share with you. There's some of you in here today that should be up here teaching this lesson because you practice the Sabbath and you've seen God multiply your work. But let's, let's leave here today with something that we're going to take away and we're going to practice. That we're going to trust in God. We're going to combat fear with our trust in God. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to practice the Sabbath and we're going to leave a margin. I want you all today to leave here creating space. Let me pray for us today. God, thank you so much for this time to be together. For us to be together and be able to just consider this principle from thousands of years ago. That you wanted something for us, not something from us. God, as we, the older I get, the more I realize, even in this principle, it's become real to me this weekend. That, Father, you really want us something great for each one of us in here today. And I pray that as we leave here today, whether people have chosen to believe this, accept this, follow this. Father, that we'd be capable of pushing the excuses aside and really combating our fear with the faith that we can have in you. Father, please help us and multiply the work of our hands even when we give it over to you. And we say we haven't done everything we can, but God, we pray that you will multiply the work of what we have done. Father, you have the power to you, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you guys for being here. If you're a guest here today, we're really glad you visited. And we hope that you guys will come back next week. You guys are dismissed.